Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let me tell you uh, more about the story of Esther. We heard uh, a little bit from, uh, from Allison, but it is uh, quite a story indeed. In the 6th century BCE, Israel was, became a prisoner of the Persian Empire, and many of its citizens were deported into foreign lands. Now, the Persian Empire was vast, extending... Uh, India on the east and all the way down to Ethiopia and North Africa. If you went two centuries further into history, around 330 BCE, they extended all the way up to Greece and eventually encountered a man by the name of Alexander the Great who defeated the Persian Empire finally after centuries. Now, the Persian Empire uh, featured uh, two capitals, Babylon, which I'm sure you've probably heard of, and the city of Susa where the Persian king lived. Now, the Persian king is a main character in this story, uh, referred to as King Ahasuerus. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Ahasuerus rhymes with rhinoceros. And historians don't recognize that name, but they recognize King Xerxes. I'm going to go with King Xerxes because it's easier to say than King Ahasuerus. So King Xerxes starts off our story and Esther, by banishing his queen, Queen Vashti, who it turns out was guilty of insubordination. She didn't want to come to a party one night, and that was just too much for the king to hear. <laughs> Poor woman. So she's banished from the court. So now the search is on for the next queen. And the search uh, was conducted in, in the following fashion. There were search parties that went all throughout the land looking for beautiful young women to be the next queen, and first they became a member of the king's harem to essentially audition to be the queen. Uh, I realize it's kind of sick, but that's, that's the way the story goes. Enter two Jewish people who are in exile living in the city of Susa. There is Mordecai, who works in the king's court, and his younger cousin, Esther, who recently had lost both of her parents and had been adopted by Mordecai, who is now her stepfather. Well, as it turns out, Esther was not only young, but she was exceedingly beautiful. And yes, the search parties found her and summoned her to be a member of the king's harem and a candidate to become the queen. And indeed, she did become the queen. She was selected for that purpose. Now, there was a considerable amount of anti-Semitism that existed in this Persian kingdom. And so, very few people knew that Mordecai was a Jew because he wanted it that way. And almost no one knew that Esther was a Jew. And Mordecai counseled Esther to keep this carefully concealed, particularly now that she was going to be the the queen. Mordecai and Esther were very adept at blending into the culture, much as God had commanded, uh, or should I say instructed, the Jews who were in exile to embrace 
the land where you are, the people where you are. Pray for them. Uh, pray for their welfare because their welfare is, is your welfare. And so on and so on. So they embody this beautifully. In fact, we learn early on in the story, Mordecai uh, sniffed out a plot to assassinate King Xerxes and they arrested the men and, and the men uh, were hung in response. We're going to come back to that incident a little bit later. Enter Haman. Haman was uh, number two in command to King Xerxes and a person of great power. He hailed from the Amalekite tribe which bordered Israel, was a sworn enemy. Of, they were often at, at war. Now Haman uh, had a decree passed where everywhere Haman went in the kingdom, everyone had to bow to Haman, the number two in command. Everyone except, as it turns out, Mordecai, for some reason, chose not to bow repeatedly. Maybe it's because he was an Amalekite, and no way am I going to bow to an Amalekite. We don't know. Well, Haman's people eventually figured out what was going on, and they reported this to Haman. Do you realize that Mordecai is not bowing to you? And furthermore, we've sleuthed out Mordecai is a Jew. Now Haman is enraged by what has taken place, and he vows not only to kill Haman, but to kill all the Jews in the land. That is one vindictive dude, huh? And so he goes to King Xerxes, and he says, King, I have to tell you, there's a tribe that's living within our borders that is not obeying the king's laws, and they must be destroyed. And King Xerxes, without knowing which tribe is under consideration, without knowing whether, ascertaining whether he knows any people in this tribe, and without really knowing what laws were broken, accepts what it turns out is a huge bribe from Haman who had promised to see to it that a large amount of money would find its way into the king's treasury. And so he looks the other way, takes the bribe, and agrees to this. And so a decree goes out to all of the governors and the provinces of the kingdom that in nine months all Jews would be, would be executed. And so, uh, literally, as King Xerxes and Haman sipped wine that evening, there was great terror and confusion in the land as Jews received this message. And Mordecai and all the rest entered into a period of mourning and fasting and wearing sackcloth. Mordecai himself standing at the, at the gate, the palace gates, with his sackcloth in mourning. He quickly got word through a messenger to Queen Esther Please, Queen Esther, have an audience with the king and dissuade him from this decree. And Esther's response to him through a messenger was appropriately cautious. She said, well, by law, anyone who approaches the king without being summoned is subject to uh, the penalty of death. Unless, of course, the, even, the, even a queen. Unless, of course... The king waves his golden scepter, and then you have an audience with the king. But she uh, advised him, I haven't been summoned myself, the queen, for 30 days. In other words, she was scared, appropriately so. 
Mordecai's response to cousin Esther, who was also his adopted daughter, are these famous words that Bev just read. For if you keep silence at a time such as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to the royal, to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So, there was a pivot. Perhaps you have come to this royal dignity for a time just as this. What will you do, Queen Esther? And although God isn't mentioned in the entire book of Esther, it is clear that Mordecai here presupposes a larger plan that they are both a part of. Esther clearly perceives that as well. For soon she had put on her royal clothes and approached the king's chamber with this request. And so she entered. And the king held up his golden scepter and said, Whatever you request, Queen Esther, I will grant to you. And Queen Esther said, I wish to host a banquet for you and for Haman in a few nights, a few nights from now. And there I will tell you my request. And so the king agreed to that. Now, when Haman found out about this, he felt very honored that he was going to be at a private dinner with the king and queen, and so he was bragging himself up to everybody, feeling really good, until he encountered Mordecai again, who again refused to bow before him and was not appropriately trembling at the knees. And so Mordecai vowed then to prepare the gallows for his hanging the next day. And he was certain that the king would sign off on this plan for Mordecai. Well, that night, this is before the dinner, the king couldn't go to sleep, and so he requested of his servants to read from the royal records, you know, the, the minutes from the... That ought to put you to sleep, right? But as they were reading the royal records, they came upon the incident where Mordecai had foiled an assassination plot. And it occurred to the king, I've never properly honored Mordecai. I really ought to do that. Now shortly thereafter, Haman shows up at the door to have a conversation with the king about hanging Mordecai at the gallows tomorrow. But before he can get anything out, the king says to him, uh, Haman, good, good to see you. Let me ask you a question. How might I honor a certain anonymous person in the king's court? What do you think? How might I honor someone who deserves, richly deserves, such an honor? 
and Haman narcissistically thought that the king was talking about him. And so he said, well, I think what you should do is find the most royal robe and place it upon this person and then on uh, the greatest war horse in, in the kingdom and, and, to, and, and to parade the horse and this person through the center of the city. This is what uh, you ought to do. And the king said, I think that's a great idea. That, that's, that will work perfectly for Mordecai, the Jew, specifically named him the Jew. And furthermore, I would like you, Haman, to lead that horse with Mordecai upon it through the city. You'll do that for me now, will you not? Sure, sure I will. He's uh, bewildered, uh, hor horrified, um, uh, mortified uh, that, uh, about Mordecai, that uh, he's going to have to do this for him, and appropriately uh, sensing an impending doom. <laughs> uh, but he does precisely as he is told. Meanwhile, uh, as he gets back home, Haman, his family more or less tells him, in so many words, your history. <laughs> your history. And so the dinner play, uh, takes place shortly thereafter. And the king asks of the queen, what is your request? And she says, O king, how might I find favor? I trust that I have found favor with you already. Will you spare me and all of my people? For there is someone who has purchased us, not for the purpose of slavery, but for execution. And all of this with no compensation to the king. How can you, re how can you replace the labor that is lost for an entire race of people taken from you? And the king is enraged, and, and, he, and he says, well, who has done this? And at that point, you, you, you kind of want to ask, well, or, or an observation here. Uh, king Xerxes may not be all that bright here. I believe you signed off on this plan, king. And Esther turns to Haman and says, it is a foe and an enemy. Haman. Haman. And Haman can immediately see in the king's face his rage and his wrath, and he knows that his days or hours are numbered, and, and he, he turns to Esther and, and gets down on his knees begging for his life from Esther. But there is no mercy forthcoming from Esther. The gallows that had been preparing for a hanging indeed saw one that day, but it was not Mordecai. It was somebody else, and you can probably guess who it was. Henceforth, to Esther, the king gave the house of Haman. And once the king learned that Mordecai was the stepfather and cousin of Esther, he gave to Mordecai uh, the royal ring that Haman carried around. And Esther appointed Mordecai... Uh, uh, pointed him over all the possessions of Mordecai. From that point on, Mordecai and Esther were second in command to King Xerxes. They were much uh, celebrated and revered, and they saved many, many lives. For even though Haman's edict 
started to play out and there was some bloodshed, many, many lives were spared. And the Jews emerged much stronger from that incident. And there is the story of Queen Esther, a superhero indeed, with some fortitude and some guts and a sense of a larger story at play, as Allison has suggested. And so let's end by reflecting briefly on this story. Perhaps if you're like me, these words stand out to you. Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Mordecai's words, God's words, without a doubt. Now you might be saying at this point, well, this, this story does, it's a fine, it's an interesting story. It doesn't really apply to me. I'm not royalty. And yet consider Esther. She simply stumbled into this position in the first place. Her only clear gift was her beauty. Other than that, she was, in this world, really a, a, a nobody. And, and even after she became queen, her role was entirely passive, as far as we can tell, until the time that Mordecai said, Queen Esther, do not keep silent. You can make a difference. And she saw that she had a role to play in a much larger story, and Esther was transformed. Now, what about you? You may not exactly be in Esther's position. I mean, Steve Ristobin was for a while when he was assistant to the, to the mayor, right? He's had positions like that. Can you relate to this story, Steve? You and, you and, you and Esther, yeah, right there. Nonetheless, you may not be in Esther's situation, but you're in, all of you, some situation, correct? And perhaps in whatever situation you find yourself, you have come to the place that you have come to for a reason, for just such a time as this. Is there someone around you who needs you? Especially you at a time such as this. Is there something that needs to be done? Something for which you, especially you, are uniquely suited or gifted, as Allison has suggested, for a time such as this? Is there something that needs to be said or spoken? And you might speak it at a time such as this, perhaps for the cause of justice, perhaps for the cause of one person who needs an advocate at a time such as this. Maybe you are where you are in your life for a reason. Maybe that reason is God's reason. I close with this short saying by Edward Everett Hale. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something.
and I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Amen.